0: Welcome to the Branches podcast. Following the lead of Jesus, we seek to embrace people regardless of their background or their present ground in the hope they find holy ground. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about the reckless love of Jesus or our community of faith, please visit our website at branchesoc.com. I don't know if you guys experience this sometimes, but when I'm, um, when I'm looking at the Bible it's pretty easy sometimes to think, are these just fairy tales? Because some of that stuff is just, it's out there. And we need to be honest about that. Like, you'll look at, um, you'll look at uh, David and Goliath. And it's a cool story. In fact, you could think of that being made into a movie, which it has. But there's that idea of, like, really? The little guy beat the big guy? Come on, is that going to happen? That would be, like, my, my teenager taking on... Some MMA guy that's six foot five. Like it's a great story. But really, did that really happen? So we start to doubt, and those start to creep in. And then we see, um, you know, the the Noah and the Ark, and and then as we start to see these stories, we can start to maybe drift that into the birth story. This this time of year when you go around, you see nativity scenes everywhere, and you'll see Joseph and Mary and the baby, and then you start seeing the animals around and the and who are these wise king and look at all these shepherds and you can turn it into a fairy tale and you know what a fairy tale is right because we have them everywhere in fact in in my house we don't consider them fairy tales but all that disney princess stuff in fact before i get too deep into this if there's anyone here that really doesn't know that i'm gonna kind of open the bag and let you know that some of that might not be true so this would be the time to Usher somebody out if they believe that Cinderella was a real person because she wasn't. Um, it was, it's a story with a moral, almost like when you think of George Washington and the cherry tree. That is a story with a moral lesson to it. And then you think of um, my friend who's a history teacher. She got really smiling right there. Yeah, that's not history. Uh, you could think of these other situations like Br'er Rabbit. Story with a moral. Even the apple and Isaac Newton, like it turns into a legend. And so you can see this nativity scene, this nativity history and say, did this really go down? I mean, is this really what happened? But I want us to stop and look at it because when I think of these stories that I used to tell my daughter, once upon, well, we, I actually never told her the stories, I'd read all the books because I didn't know these stories about the princesses. I mean, I'm a guy, I don't know these things. But I remember telling her, you know, once upon a time there was this princess Snow White and, and I would tell her these things and, and it always began with once upon a time. And is it possible that we're taking once upon a time and we're putting that into the story of the nativity and even into the Bible to the point where we don't really believe it? And yet the beauty is, is that when we look at the nativity story, it is rooted historically. However, If you look in the Bible, there's only two places, in Luke and Matthew, where it even talks about Jesus' birth. Why? Because it wasn't that important in the bigger scheme of things. In fact, historically, in terms of context, what's most important is not how he came, but that he lived, he died, and especially that he rose again. That's why the scriptures focus so much on that because that's where it really goes down is the resurrection, that's the weight. If he didn't rise from the dead, we're wasting our time this morning. You should be out surfing, you should be out eating horrible cinnamon rolls that are too big for you, that's where you should be if he didn't rise from the dead. But these birth stories, they're still important. And here's the thing, is they're historically rooted and there's a message behind it. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. And so over this whole month, we're going to look at this history. And we're going to ask, what is God trying to teach us through this? So if you could, open up your Bibles and go to Luke chapter 2. So Luke chapter, if you don't have a Bible, you can always download the app. There's apps galore. My favorite is the is one you just type in Holy Bible, and that's the best one. It um, has so many versions, so many things, but if you like one in your hand, bring yours, or you can take one of the ones that we're uh, passing out right now. So before we get to Luke chapter 2, though, there's Luke chapter 1, and Luke is the one that's writing this, and as he's, this is Luke's response to Once Upon a Time, because at this time, there's all these stories that are starting to develop. In fact, in the Bible, there's stories that were left out because they said, this is not historically accurate. We don't trust where this came from, and it's fantastical. So why would we put it in if it's not true? And so stories, for example, of of Jesus making water move as a kid and taking dirt and going, here, bird, like as a six-year-old and making birds fly, that's not in the Bible because it turned into these fantastic legends, these once-upon-a-time stories. And so Luke tells this to Theophilus. Now, most likely, Theophilus is not an individual person. Theophilus means um, Theo, God, and Philo, which means love. So lover of God, you who love God. And so he's probably writing it to not just one person, but a group and people that loved God. And he says this, he says, I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning. I, too, decided to write an orderly account, For you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. This is his answer to once upon a time. And so he jumps in and he says, in those days. Now, in those days uh, can also be translated, it came to pass or this is what happened. Which is much different than once upon a time. And he says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. So if you're like me, you get all these Caesars confused. And you read this, you're like, okay, it's one of those Caesars. Is this the Julius Caesar guy? Or is this the other Caesar? Weren't there a bunch of Caesars? Didn't they go for like 400 years? And you just kind of blow it off. Now, Luke is bringing this up for a particular reason, but he's not trying to root it historically for the people of his time. Caesar Augustus is a specific figure at a specific time. And who he is and who people think him to be is a reason why he begins in this story right now because Luke wants to highlight them. And so for us to understand what's happening, what's happening with the coming of Jesus and what Luke is trying to communicate, we have to know what's happening at that time in context. So um, I've got some cool pictures. So this is Julius Caesar. This is not Caesar Augustus that you just read. And in fact, this is the Caesar that you know of, or the main one that people know, um, primarily because if you go to Vegas, Caesar's palace, oh him. And so this is the Caesar that was murdered. Remember, et tu Brute? This is the guy. Greg, at any time if I mess up this history, you come up here and fix it, okay? All right, so Julius Caesar was not an emperor. He was a dictator. They didn't, they didn't call him an emperor yet. But when he died, and this is a little bit crazy to me, When he died, two years after his murder, 42 B.C., the Roman Senate legally deified Julius Caesar. So this is what happens. If you were to say his name, Julius Caesar, if you were to say his name, you'd have to say the divine Julius. You couldn't say, you know Julius Caesar? (gasps) They would say that now because it's now law and you can be punished for not calling him the divine. So after his death, they call him a god. They lift him to that status. Above man, he is God. So their god uh, doesn't have a son that he passes it on to. He passes it on to Octavian, who was actually his stepson. So it was his wife's son from another marriage. So he adopts him and makes him the heir. So right as he's being killed, they open up the will Mark Anthony, everyone—they're looking at it, and it—they get the message to Octavian, who's somewhere else, and say, "Hey, guess what? Not only is he dead, but you're the one that's taking over all the estates and the title. You're the, so that this big war erupts, and so this is Augustus Octavian. Now, this is where it gets confusing. They just keep changing their names all the time. So his name isn't even really fully Octavian. That changed a couple times, but." At this point are you wondering why are we doing this? Yeah? I'll get you there. Trust me, this all fits in. But I want you to know there's a reason for all this because this is the context. So Gaius, Octavius, he's the adopted son, and he, after he takes over, says, hey, I'm the son of the divine. See, the Senate's already said Julius Caesar is, so now every emperor after there has some kind of divinity to them. But since he's related to some degree, He begins to call himself the son of the divine or the son of God. And then he becomes the emperor, and that he's the first emperor of Rome. Now, when you hear that term, the son of God, you're thinking, whoa, whoa. He should not be doing that. That's reserved for Jesus. But no one's been called the son of God at this point. He's the first, and he calls himself that. So they're not offended by it. This is the government, they've taken over everything. Sure, why not? How did you get to that place? Maybe you are divine. But he gives himself that title. And it sounds outrageous to us, but not outrageous to them. So then he creates this census because they want to get taxes, and that's how, um, well, the way they did taxes was based on the city, but they changed that up because now they want to go person by person. They want to do it by the community, how much the community makes, And that's 1%. And then by each person, they're going to tax each individual person. So you guys can thank Augustus Caesar for that. Taxes his gift to mankind. So there's one more guy. And this was, Luke is more associated with him. This is Tiberius Caesar. He was also adopted son of his wife, but not his son, um, and you'll see him in scripture here in Luke chapter 3, just a little bit later. It's in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. Pontius Pilate was in place now, Herod, there's a bunch of Herods too, but this is the second Herod. And then the word of God came to John, John the Baptist, the son of Zachariah, in the wilderness. So this, Tiberius, this is the Caesar they're most familiar with. And he calls himself the son of God as well. They all just keep repeating this. Now this is important to understand the context because now you're gonna understand how important it is what Luke's bringing along, what the angel says to Mary, what Mary says and what Jesus says about himself in this context. And the thing about these men and especially Tiberius, these are bad dudes, especially Tiberius. There's very little I can say to you this morning that wouldn't be offensive about Tiberius. He was sexually perverted, he was violent. He was twisted. He had his own kids killed, but in a way that you don't even want to repeat. He was a horrible man. In fact, when he died, the people started celebrating and wanted to throw him into the river named after him. They couldn't stand the guy. This kingdom, this empire, was one of corruption, one of violence, one of power. And it's in this context that Luke is writing this this is what the angel says to mary and it's important to understand this in this context he says he will be great and will be called the son of the most high so in talking to mary Gabriel says look this jesus he will be the son of god the lord god will give him the throne of his father david Okay, look at the terminology there, Lord, that's a Roman term. The term throne, also a Roman term. He will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. You see, at this time, there were stories going around about Rome going forever and ever, and so he takes, the angel takes those words and turns them around and says, you think this is gonna last forever? No, this is the kingdom that will last forever. His kingdom will never end. And this is Mary. So Mary hears all this, and the Holy Spirit is speaking through her. And she talks about her son, but especially about God's kingdom coming. And look how she describes God's kingdom, and look how different it is from the kingdom of Rome at this time. This is Mary praying, praising God. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud. That's not happening in the Roman kingdom, the Roman Empire. But in God's kingdom, this is what's going to happen. The proud will be scattered in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. Do you think the humble got lifted up in the Roman Empire? No, you had to seize control. You had to earn it. You had to be Special, or you had to accomplish something and were born into something. That's not how the kingdom of God works. Mary goes on to say, he has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. In this kingdom, the rich are never sent away empty. They're the ones glorified and lifted up. It's about what you can accumulate. And think about this, because this angel is saying that the Son of God has, been, is, has come. How do you think that sounded to Mary? Because when you heard that Caesar Augustus called himself the Son of God, you thought, oh, whoa, what are you, whoa, that's, that's out of bounds. But see, what's out of bounds here is the statement that the angel is making to Mary, that Mary affirms, that John claims, and that Jesus verifies that Jesus is the Son of God. Everyone around would have been saying, what? You did not, you know where you're at, right? You can't say that. But this, when we celebrate Advent, the word Advent means arrival or coming. We're not just celebrating, oh, Jesus was born, because Jesus is not just being born, he's the king. And as the king, as he's entering, he's bringing his kingdom with him. If you're a king, you have a kingdom. And his kingdom is nothing like this kingdom or our kingdom, or that in Russia, or even in Norway, or in El Salvador, or in Malawi. These kingdoms of man are nothing like what God wants to usher in. And don't you sense that in your heart? Don't you sense, like you look around and you're saying to yourself, this isn't the way things are supposed to be. They're supposed to be different. Imagine what it was like for the people of Rome, for the subjects of Rome. Something's not right. This, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. Luke 2. The angel said, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a savior. That word is a word that was, was pushed around in the Roman community. They used that word savior for their emperors. But Luke and the angel is saying, no, 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 no. This is the true king. The true savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, which is another term for king. And this will be the sign to you. And can you just get all excited, oh, what's it gonna be? Meteors coming from the sky. The sun blotted out. Oh, The angels are gonna come in the clouds. What's the sign gonna be? This will be the sign to you. You will find a baby Wrapped in cloths, another way for saying rags, and lying in a manger. This is is not how the Roman Senate would share their stories, their once upon a times about how Caesar Augustus or Caesar Tiberius or Julius Caesar were born. But this is the kingdom of God, the true kingdom, the way life is supposed to be. And so Jesus comes humbly It wasn't like God went, oh, I'm really busy. I didn't work out the plans. I made no reservations. Oh, this is going to be messy. You're just going to have to, it's going to be a little rough in the beginning. No, this was the plan from the beginning to usher in God's kingdom of humility, the way things should be. I mean, think about, think about the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the peacemakers. This isn't gonna be spoken in Rome. This isn't gonna be even spoken here in the United States. We can say it, but it's really not honored. I mean, I've got teenagers. To hear the stories of bullying that happens there, I've got kids in elementary school to hear that. That's That's how man acts. That's how we do things. And so when we create our kingdoms and our empires, whether they're small or large, they go off the rails. It's supposed to look like this. It's supposed to look humble. It's supposed to be, as Jesus said, I didn't, this, even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life. That's what the kingdom of God looks like. That's what it's supposed to look like. And so we, as the church, have to hold ourselves to a higher standard So anytime you hear someone say, you know what, you're a Christian, you're supposed to be, the answer is probably yes. Don't argue, don't debate. Why? Why bother? We know the standard which we're supposed to be held to. Caring for each other, caring for the world. As we've been looking back, Abraham was told you will be a blessing. The people of Israel, your people, the tribe of Jacob, you will be a blessing to the world this Roman Empire, all these other empires, including ours, it's how much can we get? How much can we take for ourselves? That's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is, hey, what do we have and how do we bless others with it? So when we celebrate during this season, we're not just celebrating that Jesus was born, but that the king has arrived and with his king comes the kingdom. Jesus said, he started to preach from that time forward here in Matthew chapter four. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now we've, we've dissected this verse many, many times in many different places. But if you weren't here for those, this is what he's saying. He's saying, change your life. Change your life. That's what repent means. Because there's two kingdoms and you're either part of the world's kingdom, or God's kingdom. You need to decide which citizenship you're gonna have. And so change your life to match this. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, change your ways. God's kingdom is here now. Not Not just when you die, it's here now. Remember in Matthew 16, we studied a couple weeks ago when he was talking about the church. Peter said, hey, you're the Messiah, the son of God. And he said, on this rock, I will build my church, my gathering." And he said, the gates of hell will not be able to stand against you. Not, hey, don't worry, hell's going to come to you. No, the the gates of hell, the darkness, you are going to be a light. You're going to blow things open because that's what's supposed to happen. My kingdom come is going to come through the church. And we're going to go out and bless the world. That's what you're here for. And these guys are looking around at each other going, us? uh, He must be talking about something else that we don't understand yet. But then think of all the different groups that are meeting here on Sunday morning. Not just here in the United States, but around the world, or some on Saturdays or Sundays or Mondays or Tuesdays. But gathering as the people of God, they bring the kingdom forward. The kingdom is supposed to look like this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's our home. That's, that's where we belong. And don't settle for anything less. Don't call yourself a San Cleminian or a Dana Point or a San Juan or a Ladera or I'm from Southern California or I'm from California, I'm a Cali guy. Of course, we know no one from California would ever say the term Cali. That's how you know they're an imposter right away. I'm an American, go America. Hey, I'm from North America. Hey, I'm from Russia. I'm from Poland. No. When we follow Christ, his kingdom come, his will be done. That's just a subtitle, one that can wash off of us. We need to make the decision, and that's what Jesus is saying. He says, Change your life. The kingdom is here. What are you going to choose? He's calling people to change their citizenship. And yet some of us try to live in all these different worlds, trying to please the Caesars of this world, or trying to move ahead or move our way up. So here's my questions for us this morning. Have you made the conscious, deliberate decision to accept citizenship in the kingdom of God? Have you ever made that decision? Maybe you've just kind of been born into it, or maybe you heard about it and you But if you made that conscious decision, like, hey, I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God because Jesus gives me that ability. Because my trust in him that I'm called a child of God and part of that kingdom. Or are you a citizen only of the kingdom of the world around you? And maybe you're considering, what what does this actually look like? Like, what the heck is Boog talking about? I'm just always, with this citizenship, do I get like a, do I get a visa for that? How does this work? but you know you've heard, and you've heard enough that something inside of you is, is, is turning. It's almost like you can feel the compass. When you hear Jesus' words, you could say, yeah, that's, that's right, that sounds like home. That's where I want to be. Or are you trying to live the impossible life of dual citizenship? Because it doesn't work in the kingdom of God. You, you only get one passport. You don't get dual citizenship, but so often we try to operate in both worlds and you're going to be frustrated. We're in this world, but we're called to not be of this world. So, I've got some passports here. So, this one right here says, United States of America. The picture for me that I have in my head is of Christ saying, just putting it out on the table, going, okay, which one? Which one are you going to choose? I'm giving you the chance to choose. And I want you to choose the kingdom of heaven because it's what you were made for. It's what you were born for. Whatever country you're from, it's going to come and it's going to go. Rome thought they would never end. Every kingdom thinks that. These These are temporary. But God's kingdom is meant to last. It's where we truly belong. And when we go around and we see these images of, of, of Advent and we, and we see these symbols of Christ coming, above all, get down to the deeper level. That Jesus came as the king. The shepherds were hearing the story. Mary was hearing the story. But with the king comes his kingdom. And that's an offer not just for us but for the world, but we have to seize it. And when we seize it, this is the toughest part. You have to hand over your passport for the country you're from to accept your new one because there's not dual citizenship. That's not the way it works. And for some of us, we're like, ah, oh, that sounds easy. When you really get down to this, this is a big-time decision. Mary, by even praising God the way she did, Luke, by what he did, John the Baptist... Ended up having his own life taken from him. As you look through the scriptures, they were always bringing up Caesar. Whoa, whoa, whoa! This guy is placing himself above Caesar. How dare he call himself the Son of God? How dare other people say that? But that's what this season is about. It's about us stepping back and realizing what really came into the world. So we're going to take communion. And uh, as we take communion, I want you to remember what Christ offered. I want you to imagine those passports up there. Communion is not the passport, by the way. (laughs) We do this in remembrance of him. We do this in remembrance of the meal that he had at Passover, the night that he was betrayed, and he looked at the future church, and he said, this is my body, which will be broken for you. And then he took the cup and he said, this is my blood of the new covenant, the new agreement. Another way to say it is the new kingdom. Take this and do this in remembrance of me. We're always looking for excuses of the church to do things in remembrance of him. So if you could join me in standing and the worship team's gonna come up and lead us. And the way it's gonna work, if you're new here, is that um, in the corners we have the elements. And at your leisure during the next few songs, um, go and you take the bread, the body which was broken for you, and you dip it into the juice, which represents the blood which was shed for us. And use this as a time of prayer. This is all worship. Not just the communion, not just these songs and these prayers, but also the financial offerings we give. It's all part of the offering. But the thing that he wants more than anything is us. Father, I ask that you would guide and direct us. Lord, that during this season we can see you clearly.
1: Our King. Amen. The message that I get from the Bible is that Jesus doesn't want us halfway. And if we're called to follow him, then we're called to follow him with everything. And there's even a scripture that I've always found a little difficult to grasp. It says that if we don't give God everything, then he's going to spit us out of his mouth. And in light of this morning's message, I want to share a a scripture that is so encouraging to me. Because if I'm going to give everything, everything. I need assurance. That's just the way we as humans are. And the scripture comes from Luke. The second chapter which Bug was reading from this morning. And imagine you're at work just doing your job and then all of a sudden an angel appears because that's what happened to these shepherds. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby keeping watch over their flocks at night they were just doing their job and an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified it's not always the image we have of angels but over and over again in the scripture when angels appear the people that see them are terrified so they're doing their job an angel appears and they're terrified But this is where I take reassurance in having given everything to Jesus, and where those guys did, I'm sure, as well. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. If I'm going to give my everything over, then I want to be able to trust that I'm giving it over to the right place. And amen, because I have given it over to a Savior, the Messiah, the Lord. And that's the message of this Christmas season. I pray that in your lives you hear that and you live that going to say a quick prayer for us, and then Kim has, I think she said, the greatest video that's ever been made to share. Is that right, Kim? Okay. okay. <laughs> Father, we are so grateful for how you love us and that you call us 100%. We pray for strength in doing that because it's hard, but may we rejoice knowing that you are Savior, that you are the Lord, in all of God's Amen.